Welcome to Animals to the Max. I'm your host, Corbin Maxey. This show is about animals and the people who dedicate their lives to them. And welcome everybody to another episode of the Animals to the Max podcast. I am your host, Corbin Maxey. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Ladies and gentlemen, we are going to talk croc. That's right. On the podcast, we are going to talk about crocodiles. You know, crocodiles are one of my favorite animals. I think just as a kid, I've always been fascinated with crocodiles and with alligators. And it's shocking to me that we're 174 episodes in and we have not had a full episode dedicated to crocs. I'm just, it blows my mind. So I am so excited today that we are going to just talk all about crocodiles. On the show, I have Dr. Marissa Tejas. She is the co-founder of the Crocodile Research Coalition based in Belize. And I'll tell you what, I have had the privilege to speak with a lot of amazing people doing amazing things for wildlife. You guys, honestly, Marissa, she is raising so much awareness about the crocodile in her community and trying to protect this animal and trying to change the perception of an animal that a lot of people are terrified of. A lot of people think the only good crocodile is a dead crocodile. And in her community in Belize, she is really changing that perception and she's making a difference. I mean, this is someone who, you know, it's not just talks the talk, but she walks the walk and it is amazing talking to her. I, yeah, like I said, I was really impressed with her work. And we discussed the American crocodile today and the Morlets crocodile, the two species found in Belize. And we talk about some really fascinating things, including cannibalism. Did you know that crocodiles sometimes eat each other? Yeah, that's uh, really interesting. We talk about hybridization between the two species of the American crocodile and the Morlets crocodile. She also talks about some of the local crocs in the area, including a 14-foot crocodile she nicknamed Charlie. Anyway, uh, she has just some amazing, amazing stories. And like I said, it's so inspirational, especially, you know, honestly, for someone listening, and I'm sure you guys are all, I mean, the majority, I'd hope, are wildlife lovers. For those of you listening and wondering, like, how can I make a difference? Like, she's a living example of someone who always dreamed of working with crocodilians, and she is just on the forefront trying to protect them, which I absolutely love. She answers the one question I wanted to ask her, and that's, why should we protect crocodiles? Crocodiles, they can be dangerous. They do occasionally kill people. So why protect them? And of course, by the way, I know why we should because I think crocodiles are awesome and they are literally living dinosaurs that have been around for millions of years. But she answers that question because I wanted to ask her because it would be hard to go to a country like Belize where for so long crocodiles were hunted, they were poached and killed out of fear. So she answers that and even more. So once again, you guys, this is, I, I, I love her. I love this interview and I think I might go to Belize soon. Just saying, I'm putting that out there. 
Before we get to the interview, just a little reminder, I encourage you to join us on Patreon to listen to the after show. I have a 20-minute conversation with Marissa after this interview, and she talks about everything, including a hilarious story when she rescued a crocodile found in a toilet. Yeah, could you imagine like trying to go to the bathroom and then you look down and there's a crocodile? Yep, she recounts that story. She also talks more about her wildlife research in Belize, uh, croc parasites, and her skin scariest moment with the crocodile when she thought that her life was going to be over. She talks about how to survive a crocodile attack. That is all in the after show, and that is our Patreon-only after shows. To join us, just head on over to patreon.com slash animals to the max. Plans for Patreon just start at $10 a month. That's like two cups of coffee, and you get to listen to exclusive after show interviews. With that said, let's get to it. Please welcome to the show, Dr. Barissa Tellez. Let's talk croc. Marissa, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm so excited. I am so excited to talk about crocodiles. Do you realize they're probably one of my favorite animals? That is so funny. They're my favorite animal as well. Yeah, and I actually... <laughs> Besides I, Ewoks. I love Ewoks. Ewoks? You mean, you mean from, from Star Wars or Star Trek? Star Wars. I'm a huge Star Wars fan and people that have been following my work for the last decade, they'll know that when we catch a crocodile, a lot of, we name some of the crocodiles, especially our rehab crocodiles, a lot of them will have Star Wars names. Oh my gosh. Okay. So you are going to hate me. I don't, I've only seen like one Star Wars. I'm going to oh. lose. I know. I know. So I've seen the one. So I'm busy now. I can't talk. I know, right? I feel, <laughs> Wait, is that offensive? It's like when someone says they've never seen the Friends TV show. I'm like, what? Or anyway. Um, or, God, I've never really seen that. You've never seen Friends? No. What about, hold on. What about Shit's <laughs> Creek? Have you seen Shit's Creek? No. Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> so now I'm busy. Okay. They're completely... <laughs> They're completely non-animal related, but it's uh, they're funny shows to get my mind off the craziness. Uh, so anyway, I have never seen Star Wars. I, I've seen like one, I believe. What is like the one to watch if you were to recommend a Star Wars? Oh man, Rogue One. I know that's one of the more recent films, but it is just, it is probably by far my favorite. It, it really just encompasses all of what Star Wars is. Rogue One. And is this like the one they made back in the 70s? No, this is one that they made within the last five years, right. but it goes into the story right before Star Wars starts. Awesome. I love how we're talking about Star Wars. Welcome know, to the sorry. Animals <laughs> Podcast. Oh, we're talking about Shit's Creek and Star Wars. No, that's so <laughs> funny. No, so I actually I actually want to tell you that my, my good friend Savannah Bone from Gatorland recommended you. Yeah, Savannah and I, we have been good colleagues over the years. I believe the first time we actually met was in 2019 when my organization, the Crocodile Research Coalition, the CRC, we hosted an IUCN Crocodile Specialist Group regional meeting in which we had about 100 different crocodilian experts from Central America and the Caribbean. And in this meeting, we were discussing about all the various conservation and management efforts, as well as some of the issues we are all facing in this region to really move forward in crocodile conservation, but also conservation of their habitat, because we need habitat for successful crocodile conservation. You know, I always tell my, my team here, you know, what's the point? Like we're, we're conducting crocodile research. We're conducting nocturnal eye shine surveys, capture surveys, 
you know, nest surveys. We're actually going out on a nest survey today, uh, later this afternoon. And that's great. We're gathering all this research to obtain the data we need to make the most appropriate conservation and management plans for the species. But what's the point if all of its habitat is just plowed down and now you just have tons of development where there's not even good nesting habitat for the species. What's the point? And so that's why it's not just about concentrating on the species, but also concentrating and pushing conservation of their habitat, which then trickles into protecting their prey species and pretty much just having this nice positive umbrella effect to protect other species in the area. Because we don't know, maybe there's this cool relationship between jaguars and crocodiles. I don't know, they give a high five to each other ever so often. I don't know, or the tapir or the toucan. We don't know. And so that's why we need to do as much effort and protecting, yes, let's utilize crocodiles as our focal species, but we really need to take this holistic approach when it comes to conservation. We, we really have to expand because we still don't know all these really cool relationships that's happening within the ecosystem. Yes, and then for someone listening, where are you located? Because it sounds, <laughs> they're probably like, where is she talking about? I guess we should talk about, I guess, what area you, what area you are trying to conserve. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. so the CRC, we are based in Belize. This is a small little country in Central America, in the northern part of Central America. It's only about 22,000 kilometers square. We have just reached 400,000 people in the whole country. Wow. Yes, people. Oh <laughs> my gosh. Are you happy for that? I'd be sad. I mean... Yeah, a little sad. Yeah. <laughs> that means more development, but it's kind of, everyone's just like, oh my God, because it's taken over a decade to reach 400,000 people. It's just not, it's a very kind of small, little isolated gem in Central America. And so the CRC, we are based in Southern Belize, hmm. along the coast, in a place known as Placencia Lagoon. And Placencia, Placencia Lagoon is a magical little spot. It's kind of one of the last undeveloped frontiers in Belize along the coast. And the Placencia Lagoon, not only is it home to the critically endangered American crocodile, but also the critically endangered Antillean manatee, as well as jaguar, tapir, the critically endangered yellow-headed parrot. So when I first came and established CRC in the Placencia Lagoon area, you know, I was just focused on crocs. And it was really just like, okay, you know, everyone's scared of crocs here. Um, this is one of the last strongholds for the American crocodile. What can we do? You know, and of course, I'm going to gotta make this into a long story. Um, <laughs> it's, it, it's a podcast. You have as much time. To, honestly, right. yeah, I want no time. No one's telling me to cut. Yeah, go ahead. So, uh, you know, in the beginning, one thing I noticed when we were here in Placencia Lagoon, and really when I started working in Belize in 2008, was everyone had this innate fear of crocodiles. Um, or just, they just, oh, no, crocodiles are going to eat me. No, crocodiles want to take my kids, take my dogs. It's going to climb up my stairs and chomp me to death the moment I open my door. It was, there was all these crazy myths and misguided beliefs about crocodiles. And again, yes, research is important, but if we really want to establish long-term conservation and management of a species, education is important. And 
people forget conservation is not just about wildlife, it's about people. The success of conservation programs parallels the education and support of the local communities. And so even before really diving hardcore into research in the Placencia Lagoon, I got my team and I was like, we're going to schools, we're going to businesses, we're going to every community event, and we are going to talk croc. We are going to talk to people about the truth about crocodiles, educate them about the breeding season, their dispersal, you know, also try to get and see if there'd be some people interested in being the little local crocodile advocates in a neighborhood and you know oh hey you see that crocodile that's there all the day all the time what do you want to give it give him a name oh that's jeff all right jeff all right <laughs> so here's what you're gonna do you're gonna get a notebook and you're gonna start writing down jeff's move movements so that we can start understanding maybe hey everyone it's about 10 days before the full moon. This is when Jeff is really active in the canals, eating raccoon and iguana. So just make sure you're not on the edge of the canal, especially with your dogs or your small children. This is what we have done here. And so you now have the neighborhood that they know 10 days before a full moon, that's when Jeff is eating. So everyone is more conscious about staying away from the edge of the water. And the, now we have tons of people doing this. The fact, um, the, fact you, the fact you named a croc Jeff is just like, I'm just cracking up <laughs> like Jeff the croc. I love it. I And I love how you, it's so smart to give them a name so people feel a connection. And I know in the scientific community, a lot of people frown on that. And they're like, oh, that's, you know, Croc 1 or that's F1 or F2. And it's like, no, give them names so people can relate to them. Exactly. And, you know, so we also, so we have quite a few, um, you know, over the years, in five years, we have seen people just absolutely fear of crocodiles. And now, you know, before they would be calling me, Marissa, I see a crocodile. Okay, what is it doing? It's swimming. Is it swimming towards you? No, it's swimming away. I'm like, yeah, that's, we want it to swim away. The American croc is timid and shy. It should be swimming away. But again, people will just have these, you know, these uh, misguided beliefs about crocodiles from bad media press, as well as just uh, the villainization of these animals on the majority of, of movies and, and TV. And so, you know, we have continuously just been in with the community, educating, creating a community science program. And so five years later now, what we have is instead of people calling me saying, Marissa, there's a croc, come remove it. Marissa, I see a small croc. This is a new one. I've never seen it before. I saw it at five o'clock. It was basking. It was facing this, you know, is facing the West, people are providing us all this data. And this is throughout the community in this area. And so you've seen this shift and it's all just been based off of education. And now that's helping us with our research because more people are providing, whether it's finances, providing their time to assist us in our research. So educating the community, getting the, you know, creating community involvement programs at the end of the day, helps with research. And I sometimes think a lot of scientists think that education and research are completely separate, but they're not. They do overlap. And when they overlap, you can see actually a more positive progress in what your mission is. And the other thing that's been great with the education is we have a 14-footer in the area named Charlie. 
and he is the king. He's kind of elusive though. And so, you know, I got this one bar that's right on the lagoon. And when you see Charlie, and if you can point out Charlie, you get a shot. You know, <laughs> it's this big thing. Everyone wants to see Charlie. And then in October, because again, he's really active in October. And we found out through a community through our community scientists. The one reason why we were seeing Charlie so active in October was because he started coming out of the mangroves more so due to a fish migration. We oh. figured this out because of our community scientists. And so, and again, it was October and I was like, we, for the CRC, we do a month of Croctober where we're doing all like all these fun posts every day. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to make Charlie the Placentia Lagoon's version of the Loch Ness Monster. And so I did this whole post similar to like, oh, you know, Scotland has Nessie, we have Charlie. And everyone, all these people started going to the lagoon, like, oh, we've heard about Charlie. Tourists are like, we wanna see Charlie. Like I've made him into this little superstar and tur since tourism's so big here, tour guides are like, where does Charlie live? Tourists wanna see Charlie, they've sure. heard about Charlie. And, and so this creates protection and I know that I've seen how education has been important for people appreciating, creating tolerance towards these animals. They've learned how to coexist. And, you know, and the, a really great example of our progress is, and, and, and it's, it's a sad story at first, but I took the positive out of it, was this past August, uh, one of our local crocs was poached. And this was a beautiful eight foot male. And he started to get used to our research boat as well oh. as my voice. We never caught him. Um, I just kind of gave him a space. And so two weeks before he got poached, I had a boat full of kids that had never seen a crocodile. And this animal let us get right next to him in our boat. And all these kids that had never seen a crocodile in their life were able to see this beautiful eight-foot American crocodile. Two weeks later, he unfortunately was poached. And um, speaking to the people that killed him, they had put out um, a line for a, a really big fish. And unfortunately, the croc caught it, the bait instead. And they just, oh, well, we know where we could sell this. And so they killed him. When the, but it, it is what it is. And I was, I was heartbroken. But when people around the lagoon found out, I, the CRC, we were flooded with messages. Don't tell me this is Charlie. Don't tell me this isn't Jeff. You know, what happened? Like all these, the whole community was so concerned. Additionally, we found out about the poached crocodile because the cops came across the guys starting to skin it. Oh. And they're, they're the ones that called me. You know, and so I'm just, uh, obviously I'm really sad. We just lost a beautiful adult male, someone that, a, a croc that gained my trust. Um, you know, but a colleague on the peninsula messaged me and they said, Marissa, you need to take this story into a positive because if this happened before C or C came along, no one would give a crap, you know, um, or no, no, no one would care. No one, you know, everyone would ask, oh, but can I have a piece of that meat? The cops would have just shrugged and just kept moving. They're like, you and the CRC created a difference because people care. Several years ago, the cops wouldn't have done anything. The cops wouldn't have taken those guys to court. So it was just, 
oh my God, you know, I, and I did, I took it as a positive. It was what we're doing in our education, it's working and we are seeing a change. Is it easy? No, it takes work, but knowing that the next generation in 15, 20 years can have tons of wildlife around, you know, see maybe a larger population of crocodiles and understanding how to coexist with them and them teaching others, you know, throughout the country, that's worth it. I'm absolutely okay taking 60 to 75% of the CRC's time to educate because that is what's truly going to ensure long-term conservation and management of crocodiles. Man, that's genius to involve the community. Congratulations. My you are so inspirational and I'm not blowing smoke. I've talked to a lot of people on this podcast. We're nearing 200 episodes and you are, I mean, at the forefront involving the community and seriously making a difference for animals that a lot of, there aren't a lot of people who are, I mean, there are people who are fans of crocodiles and reptiles, but there are a lot of people who aren't. And, you know, there's a million people who are like, you know, save the elephant, save the rhino, save the pandas, yeah. which we should but it's like there's a lot of animals, misunderstood animals that really need spokespeople. And you have just done a fantastic job. I hope you are so proud of yourself because, <laughs> no, I'm serious. You are like making such a difference. Like I'm and I just as you were telling me the story of the croc being po uh, poached, I just got so fired up. Um, uh, I, did you have to see those poachers at all? Or were you like, how do you handle that? Because I would be irate. So funny enough, I actually knew two of the guys. Oh my God. Um, and when he saw me come to the scene, he started crying. And cause he was um, one of our community involvement programs. It's called next gen croc. And that's where we, involve anywhere from 10 to 70 year old kids from the communities on the around the lagoon they come out with us they do research they're involved in the educational aspect of everything and the poachers came from this one community where it is it is a poor community and so it's on the peninsula and you know, they, we've done a lot of educational outreach there just because um, there's been a lot of wildlife, a lot of human wildlife conflict in that community. So that's been the community we've really focused our educational efforts. So all the kids know us, majority of, of adults know us. And, um, you know, it was, it was interesting, again, is when people heard about this poached crocodile, in particular in this community, because they heard it was four guys from this community um, someone had gone up to my program director and was like, wait, you know, and, and it's fine. Not everyone is probably going to understand that it's illegal to cook crocodiles here in Belize and sell the meat and all that. Um, you know, it's not like we've reached everyone, but we've reached a good chunk of people on the peninsula and someone went up to my program coordinator. Oh my gosh, I, I did. It's, it's illegal to kill crocodiles. And she said that these kids overheard and they said, how do you not know that it's illegal to kill crocodiles? Like you can't kill them. They're protected. And she just, Darcy said she stepped back and these kids were just talking to these adults and giving them all the facts about, you know, about why you can't kill crocodiles, that it's illegal and they need to be protected. They're special, everything. And so, um, it was again, knowing two of 
the poachers. Um, it was, I, I went and, you know, for, of course my heart sank seeing this crocodile, Oh my God. but then seeing familiar faces, it was just, I, I, I took a deep breath. And the thing is the two guys, these two guys that I know, one of them used to be the principal wildlife rescuer in the area. Oh my you know, gosh. So it was, it, and, and that was the thing is that he, I know um, one of our captive crocodiles that's near my home, um, I know he ever so often goes over there, make sure that Eamon's okay and stuff. You know, it's it just, I, I, and I knew he loved crocodiles. He said he used to have crocodiles as pets. And so it was, I took a deep breath and I just, I just said, why? You know, and I was just very calm you and were? he was just crying. And you didn't use any profanity. I would have been irate. You son of, oh my God. I, <laughs> oh man, I'm like fired up. And I know I'm yeah. supposed to be a professional and be calm, cool and collected. I would not be, I would be so mad. So, so mad. And I, I was definitely, I was mad, but I was disappointed, disappointed even more. And I just asked yeah. why. And he just started crying. And he's like, I, he's like, I know this hurts you. I'm so sorry. He was just like, you're one of the nicest people on the peninsula. You say hi. And he was just, he just started just crying. And I just sat down next to him. And I, and I said, look, I know it's, tough financial times right now, but there's other ways to go about it. Um, throughout Belize, throughout, I mean, throughout the world, there was an increase of illegal hunting, poaching on wildlife as people, you know, lost jobs, there's no money and they need to put food on the table for their family. And that's pretty much what happened is accidentally caught a crocodile they know that they can sell it for some good money to someone else and so that's instead of calling me to unhook the animal they were seeing it as a way of getting income in this time where they didn't have a good source of income coming in and so that's where you know, I, I went beyond and I, and I, you know, I sat with them. Um, I think it was even a week after these animals got poached or this animal got poached. I, I sat down with the two guys that I knew and we just had a really nice conversation. And one of them was trying to find money to put his, and I, and I know this is the truth, but his mom would had to go to the hospital, but there was no money. Mm -hmm. And so at the end of the day, they did not want to harm the animal, but because, you know, tur you know, here in Belize tourism, that's our main GDP. And so it, without that, just, it was, people were struggling, people were starving. And I was seeing that in this particular community. And that's why I was trying to do as much educational, um, uh, outreach, even during COVID. Cause there was a time like, in Belize where we could still go into communities per se, um, at least, you know, just go around and talk to people. And that's mm -hmm. what I was just trying to do because I could under, I understood the issue that the wildlife was endangered around Placencia Lagoon because people would go out, poach baby parrots, mm -hmm. again, kill crocodiles for me, kill Picari for me, all this stuff. 
um, because they need to put food on the table. And so that, um, you know, it, it was, it was, it's difficult. It, it's difficult. Cause you're like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe you, you killed this animal and you're going to sell the meat. But it was, I know in any other time, I, I know for a fact, these guys, if COVID didn't happen, they would have called me, but they needed to put food on the table. They needed to put a family member in the hospital. You can't, it was, I, I told him, I was like, I forgive you. You oh, know, I, I understand it's hard times. And in regards of how my reaction was, let me tell you, those guys, whenever there's an issue now, or if they hear someone's about to go poach animals, they're coming straight to me. Because since I didn't go off on them and made them feel horrible and put myself in their shoes, it gained more respect. And it's even, and that, and now we have seen there's some members in that community, they're becoming more open to us in regards of any type of human wildlife conflicts, because I was able to keep my cool. Well, and I'm happy you're able to do that. I don't think I would have. So kudos to you. Kudos to you. And by the way, (laughs) don't take this as like, hopefully you don't take this offensive, but I feel like you, you could be a spitfire too. I feel like I could see a little bit of like a, you want to mess with me type of a vibe. I'll get, I mean, am, am I right or no? No, no. Yeah, I am. <laughs> I, yeah, I was going to say, to work with Crocs, I'm just kind of like, man, I wouldn't want to mess with you. And you were like, and you darn well best know that they're going to contact me next time they find a Croc. That's great. I mean, I think you handled that really, really well. Yeah, it, it kind of just depends on the situation. I, I, I've i come to know just to try to keep my cool, but um, there's been definitely situations where I don't, you know, so I, I'm half Native American, half uh, half Mexican, and so it's like the patchy Latina comes out, and it's just like, oh yeah. my God, God warrior God, right there. God forbid you had tequila before you saw them. Oh my God, those <laughs> poor guys would have been in trouble. Uh, so I, I I think it's you know I think it's great how you're getting the community involved, and I think it's great that you're looking at tourism. I mean, obviously, which you have to like. I mean, you have to like. Why should they care? Um, and I think tourism is a huge thing, but on, on the broader spectrum, like why should someone care about crocodiles to save them? And I, of course, like totally think that we should, I, I love crocs. Like I get it, but for someone listening, like, oh, they're scary. Why do we need them? So crocodiles, they, you know, there's been research on certain species where it illustrates they do have an important role in the ecosystem as a keystone predator, similar to a lot of studies with sharks, you know, you take out the key predator and pretty much the whole ecosystem collapse. And that is something that we do promote in our educational outreach is that crocodiles do have this important role keeping balance. Um, They help to to keep a balance with the fish population, eating the weak or the diseased fish because those are gonna be easier to capture. Um, They also, uh, disperse nutrients, especially the Morlets crocodile, because a lot of people don't realize the Morlets crocodile can actually disperse onto land, actually walk on land for about five miles. Really? And yeah, I have I have a couple of friends up north that study jaguar in this particular reserve. Oh my god! And so god. they have all these game camera traps, and I have received so many photos from their game camera traps of crocodiles in the middle of the jungle 
And they're like, Marissa, there's no close body of water. They're miles away. And the coolest was to actually see about a seven, seven and a half foot more or less crocodile just, just walking, just walking in the jungle. It was super cool. And what's also interesting is the um, jaguars, they will predate on the smaller crocodiles that are transversing in the jungle. So there's, there was one particular jaguar, he would always take his kill to a cave and they would find all these crocodile uh, skeletons, but they knew it was a jaguar because you could actually see the teeth marks of the jaguar. So he was predating on the smaller crocodiles that were roaming around the jungle. Yeah, and so that was pretty cool. I, I was gonna say, and so we, you have two species of crocodiles in Belize, is that correct? Yes, yes. We have the American crocodile and the Morlets crocodile. Morlets, okay. Yeah, the Morlets. And so, yes, we, we discussed the ecological importance of these animals to people. But one thing that we have also pulled in is the cultural part. These oh. animals are part of our culture. If we lose them, we lose a bit of who we are because they're living in the same space. And part of our history um, whether, you know, our, our culture, our religion, what it may be here in Belize is tied to crocodiles. When you look at the ancient Maya civilization, they did not fear crocodiles, they revered them. Crocodiles were so important that actually the crocodile is the first symbol in the Maya calendar represented by the god Emish. And crocodiles were also not a symbol of death, they were a symbol of life and fertility because not only of their top role in the ecosystem as a keystone predator, but also because of their ability just to live in water. Water gives life and life is given by the gods. So actually crocodiles were an animal connected to the gods. And they were, besides the jaguar, the crocodile was the only other animal to connect the heavens, the earth, and the underworld. So they connected the heavens. Um, as I had mentioned, they were tied to the gods. And so the Maya apps believed that the rainy season came about because of the hatchlings. When they would hear the hatchling calls, and hatchlings come out right at the beginning of the rainy season here, that if they didn't hear hatchlings, oh gosh, we're not gonna have a rainy season, you know? But if they heard hatchlings, ah, the rainy season's coming, it's time to harvest, it's time to plant. Um, obviously, too, is that they connected the heavens because rains come from the heavens. Crocodiles connected the earth to a uh, keystone predator, but also something that was really interesting is that, that we found out was the crocodiles, <clears throat> as the dry season was coming, and you would have various uh, pools of water around, but if there was a particular village that was afraid that that water hole would dry up, they would put a crocodile in there. And then there would be a warrior that would watch that crocodile. And as that pool of water would dry up, that crocodile would disperse. And the warrior's job was to follow the crocodile, but also protect it until it found the next body of water. And so it, to the Maya, the crocodiles would always lead them to life, lead them to water. Now, crocodiles connected the underworld because you could find crocodiles in caves, which we still find today. Caves were the entrance to the underworld, to Shababa. So if uh, a person found a crocodile in a cave, they believed that crocodile was waiting for the spirit of someone recently deceased. 
And when that spirit would come, the crocodile would guide them to the underworld, to the spirit world. And so with all these different connections, crocodiles, it was sacrilegious. You cannot kill a crocodile because that is disrespecting the gods and to a sense, uh, disrespecting your ancestors as well. And so that's something that we've tied into the educational portion of our outreach is a lot of people, you know, we always hear about jaguars and the Maya, but no one really hears about crocodiles. And so when, even if you're not Mayan here in Belize, there's still pride in that civilization. And so people are like, oh, really? Like they, the Maya respected them like that. There's this light bulb that goes off. And again, hearing that, it, it, there's a tie to culture, you know, can you, you know, in the United States, right? There's this, everyone, you know, we have the, there's the bald eagle, you know, no one's going to really go out and poach a bald eagle. That's, that's disrespect to your culture, your, your heritage, your history. And so that's something that we're kind of trying to tie in with the education here. And it's not just about crocodiles, but it's about all wildlife. You know, we are living alongside them. Uh, so in a sense, they are part of our daily lives of who we are. So again, if we lose the crocodile, if we lose the jaguar, we lose the tapir, we are losing a bit of who we are. Wow. I, man, that is amazing. That's amazing. (laughs) I know you gave me, I didn't even think about the, I didn't even think much about the cultural impact. Like, of course, I'm like, oh, they're a keystone species. That's why you conserve them. But when you really dive into the cultural significance and then compare it to how the bald eagle is here it makes so much sense that's so smart i am still so fascinated by this more let's crocodile just wandering around the forest no seriously so i'm i'm a croc nerd fill me in why are they why um are they finding new water source like why are these um crocs just found so far inland away from water yeah they're just kind of moving from one body source to the other, the other, and we just don't know still, right? So there's still so much information we need to gather about the Morelets and the American crocodile here. But we do know the Morelets crocodile is more of your terrestrial uh, predator, more so than the American. The American is, you know, more of a fish eater. And yes, the larger ones will take down a dog or a raccoon, but when you look at the shape of the more or less crocodile snout, it's an indicator that it's more of a terrestrial eater because it's round, which means more surface area, easier to chomp down on something that has more that has a larger surface area than let's say a fish. And so one thing that I had discussed with some colleagues previously is that Yes, they're dispersing from one body source to another, maybe during breeding season to try to find a mate. Maybe it's, you know, an adult got kicked out of its particular territory and needs to go find another. That's possible. But what if they are going around the jungle looking for a raccoon, looking for an agouti? We we don't know. Maybe that is a possibility. So that's something that we want to look into in some of these particular areas. That's so fascinating. So which can we talk a little bit? So is, is the American larger than the Morlets crocodile? The American crocodile is larger than the Morlets crocodile. Our American crocodile here in Belize, it, well, Charlie, Charlie's 14 feet. 14 feet. I, okay. I really haven't seen anything bigger than him. 
The Morlet's crocodile, the largest I've seen here is about 10, but on average, you're getting about eight to nine feet. Okay, so much smaller. Do they cohabitate with each other without any problems? So we do see areas where, so Placentia Lagoon, for example, we do have pure Morlet's, pure American, and we also have hybrids. Oh. And honestly, what we find, the majority of the crocs we have captured are hybrids here in Belize. And it is a natural phenomenon. There was research done by our Mexican colleagues. Oh, it might've been about within the last five years. And just north of Belize, they did a fabulous genetic study, which illustrated all those crocodiles that might look pure American got some morelets in them. Those that look like pure morelets, they got some American in them. So there are times where we capture an animal. There's all these for a pure Morlets and a pure American, they have these various morphological characteristics. The majority of time we find animals with a mix of that. And there have been some individuals, we've taken pictures of them. I don't know what it is. It is the weirdest looking croc ever. I, there was a colleague I had uh, years ago. He's been studying crocs for like 30, 40 years. And we took him out on a croc capture and we caught a seven foot, I mean, it was a hybrid. But like when we caught it, he was like, what is that? And I was like, I don't know. Like it was just this most, the funkiest looking croc. And there's been a couple of smaller ones where they don't, ha they have, they've lost some of their back scales. Um, they have a big old overbite. They're just all like funky looking. It looks like they were in a chemical plant or something. <laughs> it's just so weird. And yeah, I, it, it's, they're, they're a little bit weird and the only, most likely the only pure American crocodile populations we have here in Belize now are in the far off Keys. And most likely the only pure more or less crocodile population we have here in Belize is in Chickable Forest, which is an isolated population. And this is where we have, where we documented a high rate of cannibalism in, in more or less crocodile there. Okay, so they're eat. Okay, which one is so? So they're eating each other. Obviously, really, do the American crocs eat each other as well? It was a few years ago when we were doing a survey in Belize City. We actually did see a small adult, uh, a small subadult American croc feeding on a smaller juvenile American croc, and we documented that and we published that. And, and that happens like the crocodiles, they will cannibalize it's whether it's for population control, whether, you know, a fight went wrong and it's like, whatever, free food, let's do it. Um, in Chickable Forest, this was so interesting. I, I, I want to, I would love to go back and just study this, but I realize I need a graduate student just cause like, I, I just don't have the time to fully put, invest in it. So we go out in Chickable Forest and we see this massive, you know, nine, 10 foot croc. And we realize there's another good sized croc in its mouth. And we're like, oh my God, this is so cool. You know, we, we take the boat uh, closer, the bigger croc leaves the, leaves the other animal. And you know, it's like, it's already kind of bit off its head. It's, it's um, taking a good chunk on the, on the abdomen. And we're just like, oh man, this is, this is crazy. Then we go, maybe 10 minutes later, we see the exact same thing. 
like what is in two different animals that had been that were being eaten by two larger animals we're like what is going on we go back the next night another animal like it completely was a different animal so something kept killing these five and a half foot females five and a half foot female more or less crocodiles those are females that are just entering the reproductive stage and I, you know, we're like, what is going on? So three observations of cannibalism within about, uh, within about 24 hours, that's never been documented. So we're like, what is going on? So this is where my background in parasitology came in because one thing I did notice when we were out in the field is that these fish kept coming to the surface and swimming on their back. Now, I've seen that in fish that have been parasitized by a, a trematode, so a flatworm, when they're parasitized in the brain. And the reason why they're swimming on their back and keep coming to the surface is because they want the final host to eat them so then that parasite can complete its life cycle and it can start reproducing. And so right before that, I had just read a paper that came out that said the majority of cannibalism we see in the animal kingdom can be associated to parasites. So I'm like, um, have parasites taken over the brain of the crocodiles in Chickable Forest, which is causing an increase in cannibalism? <laughs> My brain just like went, cause then I would talk to the rangers. They're like, oh yeah, we, we saw another croc that kill, an, uh, kill a smaller croc about a month ago. So it was just like, I, I don't know like if it is a parasite or not. I don't know if the crocs there are just, there's a, just an increase of cannibalism in this one population, but it is, it would be an amazing study for someone, like I said, a graduate student, just stay a couple months out in this jungle and just observe and collect the data. Yeah, what about, I was thinking, what about an adult female wanting to, like, for, for competition, for nest sites, wanting to keep her genes in the in the pool to kill those sub-adult females? Would, would that be another option, too? Yeah, and so um, we, when we were collecting all the data and trying to identify the larger crocs, one thing it did seem was it was this female mm. serial killer croc that was killing the younger females. And then you had possibly her, but also it seemed like there was a larger or two larger males that were coming in and consuming the the corpse of the other crocs. So it was, there was just so much going on. It was so, it was absolutely interesting. It, that's been one of the most interesting research experiences that I've ever had. And we're actually headed back into Chickable Forest this, this coming July. Oh my God. That's so exciting. Well, I, I have to tell you what, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. You're so passionate. Will you join us for the after show for our patrons? Yeah, of course. Okay. I'm so excited. Okay. Now, uh, by the way, if you do want to listen to the Patreon after show, just head on over to patreon.com slash animals to the max. And that will give you an exclusive Patreon only after show episode. Uh, I am, okay, so fascinated. I, I just want to say so fascinated. Okay, so I'll save what I have to say for the patron only. But before we leave, for people who aren't going to go to the Patreon, uh, please let them know how can they find you? Can they help support the Crocodile Research Coalition? And um, how can they make a difference? 
So we are always looking for donations, whether it's towards our research, our education. You can even adopt a croc, one of our captive crocs. Um, there's also our captive turtle known as Mad Max that chases our captive crocs away. She's amazing. Check her out on our YouTube. But so yeah, please head over to the CRC website, Crocodile Research Coalition, and you can donate there. Also, you can support us by following us on our various social media outlets, the, on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube. And you can also follow me on Instagram at crocparasites13, as well as on Twitter, as I tend to expand a little bit more from just what we're doing on the CRC. So you can go ahead and follow some of the, my research adventures, as well as my target training adventures with our captive animals. Oh, that's amazing. And I will include all the links in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening. Join us, please, for the after show. Thanks for listening to the Animals to the Max podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with friends and family. Also, if you haven't already, hit the subscribe button. It really helps me out. As always, if you have any guest suggestions, if you want to email me personally, head on over to CorbinMaxi.com. And if you haven't already, check out our social channels. You can follow me at CorbinMaxi on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We'll talk to you next time.